Electricast. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. On this episode of Missing the Point, we sit down with NBC Sports Boston's own Abby Chin. We'll discuss her sudden return to NBC as the new host of Celtics pre- and post-game show, following a brief absence after serving seven years as the Celtics sideline reporter. We'll also discuss the rise and fall of Kyrie Irving's tenure on the Boston Celtics, what's gone wrong for the season in the playoffs the last few years, and what she expects from them in 2021. But first, some housekeeping. Missing the Point is a one-hour podcast recapping the biggest stories in the world of sports with the New England flavor. The show notes and transcript from today's episode can be found in the description box below, as well as on our website, www.mtpshow.com. If you're new to the show, please consider subscribing. It's the easiest way to see when we publish new episodes. We are on iTunes, Spotify, Google, and wherever you get your podcast. Be sure to rate us and leave a review of any of our shows. We always appreciate your feedback. Let us know how we're doing and how we can sound better. Also, be sure to follow us on all of our social medias. All of our links will be in the show notes. And check out our brand new website, www.mtpshow.com. That's mtpshow.com. And now, this is Missing the Point, episode 26. But it's all relative. Welcome to Missing the Point. I am your host, Michael Marcangelo, joined alongside by DK Sizzle, Dave Clark, Rayshon Buchanan, and today we have a very, very special guest. She currently hosts Celtics pregame and postgame coverage for NBC Sports Boston. Previously, she was a correspondent for the 2018 Winter Olympic Games. She also covered the Portland Trailblazers in Pac-12 football for Comcast Sportsnet Northwest. And before that, she covered Alabama and Auburn's national championship runs from the heart of the SEC at CBS 42 in Birmingham, Alabama. The one and the only Abby Chin. Abby, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you guys? Awesome. Thank you so much for for taking the time. Happy to be here. So not a lot has been going on in your life over the last couple of months, huh? No, no, not much. You know, just hanging at home, being a mom. Is yeah. what I was doing for the past few months, although there was a lot of other things going on. So obviously, like the big news broke recently that you are that you are back with N- NBC Sports Boston. So tell us a little bit about that and and just kind of what it was like for you to have you know your your fan base really demand that you come back. Yeah, well, 
It's a very exciting time. I could not be more thrilled to be in this role. Um, And it is something that, so when the news of the layoffs first came out and all of the fan support that I received then um, blew me away. And, And while I know that Celtics Nation is strong and mighty and very passionate I did not know that uh, there was such a strong, that I had such a strong impact on that group of people. And so um, it meant a lot to me. It really lifted me up during that time. That was, it. I mean, it, it was a dark, it was a sad time because I had my dream job for seven seasons. I got to do, you know, to cover the best franchise in sports. I traveled with the team. I was at every practice, every shoot around and um, you know, it just doesn't get better than that in this business. And so I, I was sad to see that chapter end. Um, and then as I just joked, it, I did try to enjoy the time that I had with my family. I have two young children, Mabel, who's f- almost five now, and my son Silas will be two in January. So um, I was just living the mom life. And then uh, I found out that Kyle uh, got the opportunity in Sacramento and he was very excited about that. And I reached out to my former bosses and said, I would love a shot at that job. I think I could be great at it. And, um, they gave me a shot and I did have to audition, but I got it. And so here we are and I could not be more excited. So so what was it like auditioning for a role, uh, at, at at a network that you would work for, for, for seven years? Like they had tape on you. They, they knew a little bit about like what you could bring to the table, right? Yes. I mean, I hope so. Yes. Uh, But I think it's a different job than what I was doing on the sidelines. And that's something that they have seen me do a lot more of for, like I said, the better part of seven seasons. And so, um, and while I had hosted some during my various maternity stints and things like that, uh, it's one thing to do it and just kind of fit in. It's another thing to do it every show for what we're you know, 82 games typically plus playoffs, plus the preseason. And then also just um, working on that chemistry with Scal and everyone else that you're working on. And while I do have those relationships, Scal definitely treats Kyle and has treated Kyle differently in the past than he would treat me. And so I think it's kind of working on some of that and seeing what that looks like. And then they also, as far as I know, you know, wanted to see what was out there and what's available to them and wanted to go with the best person possible. During my uh, prep for this show, my internet sleuthing on you, Abby, I uh, I came across an interesting fact. Mike just read off your list of amazing accolades and and jobs, but I found out you were a production assistant on Monday Night Football. Is that the case? It was, yeah. My first job out of college was at ESPN. Uh, it actually was at ESPN Classic, and I had submitted a resume for just an internship two years before that. And they called just before graduation and said, uh, we have this job at a production assistant job at ESPN classic, you know? And I said, awesome. Sign me up. I will be in Connecticut tomorrow. And, uh, it just worked out at the time. Um, I will tell you, they were looking for diverse candidates and I'm a diversity double whammy. is what I like to call myself being a woman <laughs> in sports. And then also, uh, with my Chinese heritage. So Um, It worked out for me. Yes. And then classic dissolved and I got picked up by, they called it remote production at the time. And so I worked on Monday night football. I did the X games. I also did um, the WNCAA tournament, which was really cool. It was like the only champion that actually gets crowned on ESPN. Um, And so it was pretty, it was fun. It was a great time. It was 
only a year that I did that. And then I decided to make the jump to try to do on-air work. I, I, I always find production assisting so interesting, not only because I did it for a long time in film, um, but also because it's such a broad job description, you know, like it's when you get into it, especially in such a, like a behemoth of an industry as broadcasting or, or any, any kind of industry that has production assistance, you have really no idea what to expect going in. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners are, you know, interested in breaking into to larger industries. And like, was that intimidating for you when you first started off where it like, you know, it's such a broad job description. Like I said, when you get there, it's like, you just do everything, you know, like you run around, you do everything, you learn a ton, I'm sure. But like, was that, is it in, in your experience, was it overwhelming when you were PAing or, or how was that for you? Like I said, when I, I started it at ESPN Classic, which um, if you don't know, was the arm of ESPN that basically focused on documentaries. They did, uh, they started doing sports centuries, which were the autobiographies or the biographies on great sports legends. Um, and then at the time they were developing these shorter shows. So the show I worked on was the top five reasons you can't blame. Um, but a lot of my job description was sifting through old tape and film and then also uh going through interviews and finding um sound bites that would work it was everyone kind of interviewed with the same background so that you could use it for multiple shows um and so that wasn't intimidating that was something that I had done in internships and when I went for my interview actually the uh manager pointed that out she said you're doing you do a lot of what we are doing here and so that wasn't intimidating. It was different making the jump to the remote production because I hadn't done any of those before. And you bring up Monday Night Football. That is an enormous production, something that I haven't ever been a part of. You know, they have four or five television trucks, one for, you know, the replays alone. And however many cameras they have for that is, is just incredible how much goes into one production of Monday Night Football and how many people it takes. And um, and so that was something different, but also something really exciting and fun. It was, uh, the first time that I got to travel regularly for work. And that was something that was really cool. And, um, it was just, you do, like you said, you do a little bit of everything. And then you also, depending on who you're working with, either pick up some of their slack or, you know, get to learn from those people. And so it was just an incredible experience. It was also, um, when I lived in Bristol, Connecticut, I met my husband there. So we moved, you know, from Bristol, Connecticut to Birmingham, Alabama, and then to the Pacific Northwest in Portland, Oregon. And then uh, now we're here in Boston. And so it's just, yeah, part of the ride. But it was yeah, fun. serendipitous then that you got that PA job. Yeah. <laughs> so it really worked out for you. Um, I, like, I wonder if, did, did that help you at all? The What seems like culture shock going from sifting through tape into a ton of moving parts um, over at Monday Night Football, all this craziness happening, then going on to move from one place to the other to the other. Did that help you when you landed, say, you know, the Celtics job for the first time? Like trying to get into the culture of basketball that we have in, in um, New England is, was probably a little bit of a culture shock, I would think. You know, like, like you said, our fan base is pretty unique. Um, did that experience help you at all to try and kind of adjust and like learn? Or was it just like, okay, I got to start from scratch here? I wouldn't say I got to start from scratch because I think every experience that you have leads up into these moments. Um, the fan base here is very passionate. I would say the only place that I've experienced that has something similar is, as you mentioned it, Craig, the SEC and Auburn and Alabama football. It is, I mean, 
honestly, when I lived there, that's the most famous I have ever felt. People coming up to me on the street, asking me if I was going, you know, headed to Kentucky that weekend. They knew my schedule. They knew where I was going. And, um, you know, down South, you can't, if the time to go to a grocery store, if you don't want to see anyone is on Saturdays because no one leaves their home. They're watching college football. And so, um, I, I did get to experience that. And then coming up here, this job. So I moved so I got into the NBA when we lived in Portland because uh, the Blazers are the only professional franchise that uh, the CSN at the time, or now they're NBC Sports Northwest, had the rights to. And so um, I was hosting, I started hosting college football shows, and then that evolved into the NBA. And that's how they found me here in Boston. And I had done some sidelines. Um, and I was originally hired here to anchor and report, which is something um, that I was used to, that I was pretty familiar with. And then making the jump to covering the NBA was a bit of a learning curve, but um, I was lucky. And then in that, that first season with the Celtics was also Brad Stevens' first season. And it was also the first season after they traded away Paul Pierce and KG. And um, so they won 25 games, but I tell the story all the time. That first season, the Celtics had, I, I think they had, we either had 10 or eight preseason games. So we did, and and they were terrible. They had 25 wins that season. So the nat- no, none of their games got picked up nationally. And so we did all 92 games and they had, that had never been done before. So um, I got a lot of reps that first season, especially in the preseason with 10 preseason games. And so um, by the time the season finally rolled around, I was, we hit the ground running. It must have been so nice to to come in with the new guard, though, like regardless of not winning a ton of games in that first season, like it wasn't as if you were being inserted into a various stat. Like, I'm sure there was a lot that was established, but to kind of come in with a new regime and sort of get, you know, get your boots on the ground with them at the same time was probably like, I would think a helpful experience now. For sure. Um, I had moved to Boston, I think about six months before. So I was here for in January for that last stretch of doc. And that's the like doc, as you guys know, is such a great interview, a great person. He's just a lot of fun to be around. And, um, honestly, when Brad got the job, I was, I remember I was at a happy hour and then the notice came through my phone and I was like, what Brad Stevens, that (laughs) is bizarre. And then two months later, they were like, we're, we're thinking about making some changes. Would you want to do this? And so, yes, it did work out that all of that, but you know, you talk about the old guard, Mike and Tommy were still there and they're the ones calling the games and they are the best of the best, but I am lucky in that they are also two great people. And so they welcomed me with open arms as did, um, the production crew. Paul Lucy is our producer and he is, he does everything. I mean, you know, I talk about Monday night football and all the moving parts in that Paul Lucy does, I think about five different jobs that they had in this one truck for Monday night football. And um, he is just amazing at what he does and he's been doing it for decades. And so they were really great to me in the beginning and um, very kind holding my hands through things and, you know, giving me little tips and pointers there. Uh, And so it was, they made the transition as easy as possible. So, so how long do you feel like it took you to, to like hit your stride here in Boston? I ask that because I can't honestly remember like when you weren't doing the games, that's how you just feel like you're just a fixture here. So I wonder like if there was a moment when you were like, you know what, I, this, this feels right now. I don't know. Um, I know those first couple of seasons and this might be too much information, but those first couple of seasons I was, um, I over-prepared. I had 
like 10 to 15 storylines ready to go for every game. And, you know, whatever I didn't use would roll over, but I would type them out on my laptop. And then I would also write them on a note card to like see it and be able, and the whole hits. And so it was on me to sell to my producer what was coming, but I felt like I had to be prepared for any and everything possible. I can still remember a Vitor Favorani um, hit that I had about him being ambidextrous <laughs> and like throwing a ball or something. Cause I had written it on like eight different note cards. Cause I was like, we're definitely going to use it this game. I got to get it. I got to have it. Um, we never used it, but, uh, <laughs> and so I, I did that. And, um, for at least a couple of seasons. And then I think, and maybe this is true of many women, but, um, I had Mabel in 2015. And so going through that, the pregnancy, and then um, going through the maternity leave, I think that was the first time that I actually like got a moment to breathe. And um, after that, I had to be more efficient in what I was doing. I couldn't sit there and take all day writing tiny and no cards. And yeah. um, that forced me to be better because I also had to take care of another human being. And so um, I think that moment is when I really felt like I can do this job. I know I know what I'm doing. And um I know that I'm going to do it well. Yeah. You, you had mentioned before that, uh, that you, that you came in here with, with the new guard, right? And so you've been here since that 25 win season, all the way through, you know, a couple of Eastern conference final runs. You've you, been here through, through it and yeah. through the guy that I want to mention now, uh, Kyrie Irving, who yeah. has made some headlines recently about uh, how he feels about people like us, more in particular you in the media and how we will not deal with them because they're pawns. What what was your experience like with Kyrie and, and how do these comments like really make you feel? He clarified those comments saying that he wasn't specifically speaking about yeah. media, but um, <laughs> I, I don't know. We're going to give him the benefit <laughs> of the doubt there. Uh, what I remember about Kyrie is he came in on that first press conference day and was gregarious and so excited to be there and I remember Scal and Kyle and Mike all introducing themselves he's like I know you guys I've been watching you he was great and um seemed really excited to be there and you know really had the charm on and then just slowly over those next two years it just kind of fell away I luckily was um in on my second maternity leave with Silas uh that press conference after the uh, shoot around in New York where he said, I don't know anybody, anything. And I feel like that's really where the tides turned. And then um, I remember I told the story on air the other day, the uh, we had, there was a practice right before their first uh, postseason series in that last season he was here. And I asked him, you know, what do you take away from those 82 games? Because they were all over the place that season and, and had really low lows and some really high highs where they looked amazing. um, Like they did in that first round series against the Pacers. But um, I asked him, what do you, what do you take from those 82 games? And he looked above all of us, you know, the scrum, you guys have all been in a media scrum, all of us. And he was like, all of this, is irrelevant. And he was like looking above us and did not acknowledge, like didn't make eye contact and was just like, and, um, you know, I think he was at the time he was speaking about the larger outside world and distractions, but you know, the way that he treated us and in that moment, and it was just that to me epitomizes how Kyrie views the media and views the journalists trying to do their job. And then 
you saw it reflected again in his most recent comments. So I don't find them surprising. I, I do hope that eventually he figures out that, you know, we're all trying to get to the same goal, which is grow the league. And we all have this passion. And while, yes, you may be an artist, I mean, people are just doing their jobs and finding their art in their own way. And so um, I hope he can eventually figure out and, and respect that, respect the jobs that everyone is trying to do. Right. I, I mean, he's, he, yeah, he's, he's just someone that wants it his own way though. That's, that's just how he's always been. He's been like, he was like that. He probably was like that at Duke too, or St. Patrick when he went to high school. He was just always like that. Uh, but I, I mean, all the great work that he does for the community and, and for so many people, but it's also, you know, you have been given this platform and part of that is talking to the media and, you know, all the things that that has afforded you. Right. So to, to kind of still stick, stick with uh, the Kyrie era. So uh, obviously, you know, we had another Eastern conference run where, you know, they fell short in six games to Miami. Uh, so just in your, in your humble opinion, like who do you think had a more disappointing season? Like the, this year Celtics or the 2018, 2019 Celtics? Oh, 2018, 2019 Celtics by far. I mean, that team came in with, I mean, it's finals or bust and they're going to challenge Golden State for the title. And so to fall off, so especially, and then to, like I mentioned, we had that up and down season. It really was all over the place. But then uh, that first round series against the Pacers where they dominated, they swept. I remember um, Jalen Brown walking down the hallway with a broom and Terry talking post game, like I've never swept anyone. This feels amazing. <laughs> and then we went to Milwaukee and that first game against Milwaukee and they were incredible. I remember it was an afternoon game where everyone was like, Giannis has no idea what's happening. And then it was just, it just fell off a cliff and with Kyrie trying to guard Giannis for long stretches for some unknown reason. And so, um, to me, that was the most disappointing. I really thought we were going to the finals. I thought I was going to be on a duck boat with Mike and Tommy. And <laughs> it was going to be glorious. Yeah, no, I, I mean, no, I, I completely agree with you. Like, I was I was so pissed at, at that team. Like, I remember going to some games late in the season. Matter of fact, I was at the game against Indiana where – uh, they actually sealed the fourth seed because they you know, was going back and forth and Kyrie hits that game when the layup and, you know, the crowd was going crazy. And they're like, yes, I'm like, all right, cool. I'm like, oh, we get Indiana. We're going to run through them. I didn't think we were going to sweep them, but they did. And then I'm like, okay, they when they beat Milwaukee. I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm like, oh, this is about to be a cakewalk. Like, it don't matter who we face. Like, and then all of a sudden they they quit. And it was just like, damn, like, really? Like, this this is how y'all going to go out? But it, it just looked like, it, it almost like, it, it was almost like they was in the bubble in 2018 and 2019 where they just wanted to leave. And it was just like, well, why would you want to leave this moment? Like you had, you had the talent. Um, you're, you, you say that you're healthy. Why, why not go out and try to win it? And then if you want to leave afterwards, go, go do that. But you know, we'll leave it at that. Like I said, you know, we, we exhaust Kyrie a lot over here in Boston because we're so we're so mad at him. But uh, kind of want to transition to this year's team, right? So, uh, you know, so we have some people that left. So you know, like Ennis Cantor is now back in Portland, back in the Northwest. Um, I know Brad Wanamaker is now in, in Golden State. So uh, essentially coming in, you know, now we have Tristan Thompson coming in and we have Jeff Teague. So, you know, just what was your thoughts about those additions? And do you consider those to be upgrades uh, over what they had last year? I think that the jury's still out on Jeff Teague, despite the incredible preseason game that he had to right. open the season, especially offensively. But I think Brad Wanamaker did so much defensively that maybe got overlooked and and just the calming presence that he provided in the locker room. And I know that Teague has so much of that veteran experience that he's bringing, but I, I think I am, 
I want to see him do it over the course of the season and see what he's going to bring. And if he can bring that offense consistently, consistently off the bench. But I think that that's, he's going to be really important as we know with Kemba missing so much time with that knee. And um, that's What's up with that knee. What's going on with that knee? Do you got any inside, inside info on that? Cause it's, you never want like a weird, you never know. You never want a weird injury for your star guard, right? Like, when you, when you kind of only get half the story, like I think his knee's better. It looks, and then he plays like he played in, you know, in that, in that bubble playoffs. It's like, do you got, do you have any inside scoop? We can cut it out. We won't even tell the public. Just tell us if you know what's going on with that knee. No, I wish I did. I, and, and the way that they describe it as well as they're just trying to strengthen everything around it. I, I think for me, the most alarming part was when he had the four months off uh, during the pandemic and the layoff. Right. And then came back in the first couple of practices, It he tweaked something and um, obviously didn't feel right and didn't obviously wasn't the same guy through the postseason. And he has said that. And he said how much it sucks not being that guy because he's been waiting for those moments and that stage for his entire career and then to not be at your best. And so many Kemba moments came up, you know, so many, oh, yeah. so many typical yeah. Kemba moments came up and he, he wasn't able to, to well, kind of show us that. Yeah. I, I, I don't know, though, because I'm, I'm kind of in between on it, because I feel like he has some good moments against Philly that first round, right? And yeah. then in the Toronto series... points in one of the games. Yeah, you know, yeah, exactly. So, but and then you get to the Toronto series, and I mean, he makes one of the best plays I've seen in a long time in the postseason, no matter where it was at. That bumps past the tights to, to, that, that should have ended game three. And I mean, we went off on our in our group chat about that. I was so, oh my gosh. I, they know I was pissed <laughs> off. I, I, I get mad talk, just thinking about it right now, but... uh <laughs> It was just like we weren't talking about that before game three, I feel like, as much. So I'm just like, I feel like once they started to lose a little bit and, you know, they played like, I mean, I remember that game six was like a double overtime. Um, So I feel like once they played more minutes, that's mm-hmm. when the need became more yeah. of an issue. So, you know, to me, it's just like, hey, y'all have to get you have, you have to get the job done. Right. We talk about it with the Patriots. Do your job. Do your job and beat the teams you're supposed to beat. You know, we have a you know a resident Toronto Raptor hater over here and uh and DK Sizzle, uh aka Dave. You know, he thinks that Toronto wasn't. I don't I don't hate the Raptors. I just this is sorry, Abby, this is an ongoing plot line here that you're now like involved in. I knew I knew but hated the Raptors. I don't it's not that I hate the Raptors. I was backed into a corner because they kept trying to tell me the Raptors were were good, and I just don't think that they're that good. So we we got into a lot of things. Yeah, well, just in general. I thought once they lost Kyrie uh Kawhi I thought it was all over for them and I was right. So like, here we are. You say they were pretty good last yet when they won. Yeah. The yeah. They were pretty good when they had, yeah. you know, one of the top three basketball players on the planet on their team, but like not so much anymore. But thankfully, because we have a podcast, every stupid thing that I say gets recorded and then thrown back at me <laughs> because I also said a few weeks ago, and I know these guys are going to bring it up. I also said a few weeks ago, we should probably consider trading Jason Tatum. And then Jason Tatum decided to come right, yeah, back. Thank you, Abby. As, thank you. <laughs> I understand. It wasn't a smart thing to say, but you know, you, for content purposes. <laughs> but then of course, Jason Tatum comes back uh, looking not 19 anymore, looking like a, a, a 45 year old grown man like with 20 more pounds on him and apparently two more inches. So I can just see that that's going to get thrown back in my face, which I, I'm a Celtics fan. Like I want that to happen in some ways, but I think I'm going to hear about it for a long time. So yes, I was wrong to say that, but I wasn't wrong about the Raptors. Yeah. Given that, um, you know, last season was the most interesting NBA season probably ever because of the bubble. Right. Um, I thought that uh, that was the one league that figured it out and figured it out better than any other uh, major, major sporting league. So I'd love to hear like what your experience was like, especially because you couldn't do all the things that you are, that that you are normally able to do like at the garden. So what was the bubble like? I wasn't in the bubble. 
I didn't get to go. I was outside, um, thankfully, especially because I have two kids. So I don't, I don't think that would have worked for me anyway. Um, but it did. It changed everything. And, it, and we're still doing it where all of the media availabilities are on Zoom. Um, but like you said, typically, yes, I, I travel with the team. Um, I didn't I wasn't on every flight just because of family, but I could have been. And um, so but then, you know, you go from the plane to a bus to the hotel and then back and you just get little glimpses of the guys. Um, and, but you also just get a feeling of being in those locker rooms, you know, there is availability at every shoot around and there's availability, um, inside the locker room before every game. So you just kind of get a feel or a vibe. And we were not able to get that, um, obviously being outside the bubble, but it was nice, um, in that we are the broadcast partner. I did get to do some one-on-ones and exclusive interviews and talking to guys. And it was interesting to me, um, how much more not welcoming and, and not necessarily open, but they were like actually excited to see me. They're like, Abby, Hey, nice to actually look at you in the face, you know, not just over some, not just staring at some random camera, you know, on a zoom screen. And, um, that was nice to know, you know, I feel like they did, they, they missed us a little bit, you know, we're there every day, but they definitely <laughs> missed our presence a little bit. Um, but it is, and it it changes the job, and so it's not necessarily um, talking about the feelings or the vibes or what you're seeing, noticing on the sidelines. It's more of um, what the players are telling you, and you have to kind of get. That's the challenge, right? To get the right. most out of them in these settings. Uh, and so it was a good. It was a different challenge, and um, you know, hopefully. And, you know, Brad's favorite word is versatility. Hopefully it made me a little more versatile in what I can do um, in this industry that is ever changing. Uh, But it certainly was, I mean, like you said, I think it was remarkable what the NBA did and for how long they had that in the bubble and just the undertaking and just how big that was and what a success it was. And now I'm just, I'm really curious, hopeful, crossing my fingers that, um, they're able to continue that success outside of a bubble and hopefully not have too many hiccups this season. Right. Agreed. But so kind of adding on to, uh, you know, the interviewing part. So obviously, you know, we talked about it. You've been here for seven years and, you know, you came in under the new regime. So, you know, who who would you say has been your favorite player to uh, interview in your time here so far? Um, I mean, one-on-one, it's probably Marcus Smart. He's yeah, probably we knew you were going to say that. We called it. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, if we're going to go way back and inside scrums, I would say Gerald Wallace. And he was only here for my first season. But um, back in the day, Gerald told it like it was and was just like, we played, like, BS tonight, and this is what needs to change. This is what this is who's doing it. This is what needs to stop. And um, those were the most honest conversations I think I've ever had in an NBA locker room. Um, he, he gave he gave us a pass on the, one of the good plays of that of that first season there that passed to Jeff Green when he hit the game winner in Miami. Okay, yeah, that was one of the few good you know moments of that year. So I remember that. So no, that's cool. But yeah, I, I did call it would be Marcus Smart before the yeah. show. I was like, I, I thought so because I mean everyone loves Marcus Smart, you know. So why, why, why not? Yeah, yeah, exactly. The emotions. Given that 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 this that this year's Celtics team has so much potential, right? And there is we, we, there is this feeling amongst all of us sports fans that the Eastern Conference Finals just aren't enough anymore. Like you just need to take that next step. What do you think uh, the, the Celtics are missing, and have they addressed it in in the off season so far? 
I mean, what are they missing? Another versatile wing who can guard any position, like a Gordon Hayward. I, you know, that, that would be nice <laughs> oh, to yeah. still have Gordon oh, Hayward. Yeah. And yeah. then also added Tristan Thompson and Jeff Teague. I think that would be really nice. Yeah. Um, I, I do like those additions. I, I'm really interested to see, obviously, one preseason game. I'm intrigued by <laughs> Peyton Pritchard and um, Aaron. Same, same here. Smith, I mm-hmm. feel like showed some pretty nice flashes. And if he can be that sharpshooter that we've heard about, which is such a hard thing to do to make this jump at this level, which is what makes what Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson were doing in the Eastern Conference Finals last season so remarkable. Because I've seen them the Celtics try to bring in these guys. I mean, from James Young to I was oh. in the building when Carson Edwards hit eight threes in that preseason game. And everyone's like, this is it. We got it. <laughs> and you know, it's, it's, it's hard to do at the NBA level and at a consistent rate. So I think that that would be huge for Aaron Neesmith. If he can be that knockdown shooter and someone to help them spread the floor and take some of the pressure off of Jason and Jalen. Um, but I, I do think that, you talk about the expectations. The East has gotten a lot better, a lot tougher. And then in particular, you look at the team the Celtics are going to face in their second preseason game, the preseason finale in the Brooklyn Nets with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. And um, that just, if, if Kyrie can hold it together for one season, which he did here in Boston too, he, he kept it together for one season. Um you know, I think they're going to be scary. And because uh, it's freaking KD, even though he's coming off of an Achilles. He's still going to be amazing, though. Like, you can just, you can just right. tell. You right. Know. He doesn't need his athleticism to be great. Yeah. Um, be at the top of his athletic game. I mean, but he's but, uh, also kind of a weird dude, too, right? I mean, he's had his moments uh, yeah. with like weird burner accounts and like media interactions also. So, it might be wishful thinking on our part because we're Celtics fans, but like maybe they'll implode because of their personalities. Like who knows? Because if they don't, I think the East is already locked at this point. Right. Right. With Nets, by the Nets. Yeah. I mean, those are, that's two generational talents on one team. So it makes me a little bit nervous, but maybe I'm a pessimist. So, what about Giannis? Yeah, but I mean, to me, it's still just him. Like, I feel like yeah. pe- people put a lot of stock of Chris Middleton for some reason. Uh, to me, he's he's a glorified Mo Williams. Mo Williams was a glorified Mo Williams. I love Mo Williams. Sure. I mean, you know, fine. I mean, you know, uh, that's another Alabama reference because that's, that's where he went to school. But it was like he he was he was he's okay. But I mean, he he did when Giannis got hurt. Yeah, he he got them a win in that series. But it was like okay, like. Why don't, why don't you do this when he's on the floor? Now, if he's getting 25 a game next to Giannis, now you got a problem because Giannis is going to get 25, 30, whenever he wants. And if you have two guys that can do that, that's different. But I just, I don't, I don't see that. But, uh, you know, everyone's still hype on Miami. Like, are you, are you high on Miami? Like, just because they beat us? Like, I, I just, I'm, I'm, because I'm not. So I don't think just because they beat the Celtics, I think that the Miami culture that you hear so much about is legit. And they proved that in the bubble. Um, and I think that Tyler hero is a problem and (laughs) Duncan Robinson looked like a real problem and just their development and, um, the way that they play and so self, self, so selfless and move the ball. And even defensively, even though they're running a zone that should be able to, should be easy to break. Clearly it wasn't right. Right. And, <laughs> and it should have been easy. Not. It should have been especially easy for us. That was the strangest right. thing we, we have versatile wingers who can shoot, you know? Right. So like, I just couldn't understand how we weren't breaking that zone down and just finding that space. But like, 
I've been saying for years, you know, I was totally on the bandwagon of Spolstra just being elevated by having LeBron on his team. And like Mike uh, famously on our podcast was like, I think Spolstra is actually a pretty good coach. And I was like, no. And then of course (laughs) we see like a coaching masterclass from Eric Spolstra against the Celtics. So they have him too, which is helpful. Yeah. Which is huge. So um, I do, I think, you know, there's someone, they're not going to be an easy out for sure. So I, yeah, I I agree with that. I just, I just, I think there's some people that have them still above Boston because of what just happened. I feel like they're being prisoner of the moment, but that's what, that's what we do. We overreact, right? Like, like you said, people are already high on paying pressure and it's been one game, but I I am too. I'm biased. Like I think he's going to be great, (laughs) you know, but it's just like, I felt the same thing about Carson Edwards. And then he had a couple of flashes in the regular seasons and he kind of just went, went away. So um, I actually want to go back to the Celtics. So, uh, could we touch a little bit about it with Gordon Hayward leaving, um, so thankfully, Danny Age was able to get a trade exception for him because, you know, um, our group chat was on fire about him not getting anything <laughs> for him. Um, you know, when I was and I was like, hey, you know, give it time. Something's going to come about. And it did, thankfully. Um, so I know they can't use the full twenty eight point five. I think it's around like twenty two million because they want to be under uh, a certain number uh, for the salary cap. So, you know, who are some guys you. Uh, would you like to see outside outside of Gordon Hayward coming back? Because I know he's already gone. But you know, what are some names that come to mind uh, that fit with that twenty-two million salary or under that you like to come like to see come here to Boston? I mean, I know a lot of people talking about Harrison Barnes um, eventually being available. I think that Danny Ainge rightfully is in a wait and see mode. I mean, you don't know what this team looks like. Does Jeff Teague provide that scoring off the bench that they've been missing so sorely? over the last couple of seasons. Does Tristan Thompson come in and take the starting job from Daniel Tice? And then you're actually pretty short up uh, in the front court when you can throw in a Rob Williams from time to time. Um, and then, yeah, you are looking on the wings, which would be a Harrison Barnes, but I, I feel like you just don't know yet. And they're trying to figure out who they are. We want to see what kind of leaps and what kind of players Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are going to be when they are put in this position and we saw it a little bit from Jason obviously in the bubble but Jalen I think obviously um all we've talked about is him taking on more having the ball in his hands being able to be the guy and I want to see what that looks like and I think the Celtics do too and then you kind of work around that and see where the holes are and then what becomes available but like we've talked about that I have been with this team throughout this whole rebuilding period and I have it has been too many draft nights too many trade deadlines where we're like something's gonna happen and because they had all these assets they're in every single rumor yep and then you know nothing right right I guess it's pissed off right exactly comes up empty yeah and not necessarily empty I mean obviously Jalen and Jason worked out Danny made some moves with that but you know the night that Jalen got drafted and was booed inside TV Garden um, because they were involved in so many different rumors and thought Jimmy Butler was coming and all of that. And so um, <laughs> that, I am, that, that was me. Like, I, I listened. For Chris Dunn, one of them drafted Chris Dunn so they could trade him to Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. That, well, thank God that didn't happen because, man, so, um, you know, yeah. So good, I am, I am yeah, just I'm skeptical that, you know, something big actually comes of that. And I want to see what this team looks like. Well, if, if they do, um, just as, as, as a personal wish list for me, I don't know how, how the other guys feel, but I want Aaron Gordon. 
Like that's who I want. I think that from an athletic athletic standpoint, he fits he fits what uh, Brad wants to do. Now defensively, I think he's more of a liability. But if you can get either Gordon or even Vucevic, because like Orlando, you're you're in. They're like they're not they're not in purgatory, but it's like they're close. So it's like unless they know something we don't know about that knee, though, because they did that with with it's hip. You know, like they like that was the last. You are in Orlando. It's hard to trade away your biggest star, and and what are you getting back for that? You know. Yeah, I mean that that's 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 true. I mean, I, I saw some wild rumor about Kemba walking going to Orlando for Vucevic and uh I think like Terrence Ross. And I'm just like, I don't know why Orlando would would do that. I think as a as a Boston fan, I think you would maybe entertain that since they were looking to trade Kemba all offseason. Because he was coming off his first all-star year, right? Yeah, no, I mean that that's true. I know, but there's no there's no Kyrie coming back though. There's no Kyrie and, coming and back. And I don't think Kemba's <laughs> knee has changed much from when they decided to pay him coming right. out of Charlotte. And and that is something that uh, Rick Bennell, who's the beat writer for the Charlotte Hornets reported, you know, after speaking with Mitch Kupchak, the Kemba's knee did play a part into why they weren't willing to sign him to that supermax. And so you got to trust injury. Yeah, you got to tr- trust a little, your doctors. A little extreme. His ankle exploded on like game there. one. Like that's not, I mean, and I, I mean, I've, I've heard of Rick Brown now. I know he's because he, he did a lot of Celtic shows last year it's when Kemba came back up and he spoke about like Kemba's character. I, mean, I feel like we, we did talk you know, about So I, I know I know he's a good reporter, but it's, it's not on him. I'm not buying anything coming from MJ. He If, if he said that about Kemba Walker and wasn't going to give him the super max, which would have been like 220 mil, but you want to give Gordon Hayward 120 and he's been injury prone and he just got hurt again. Yeah. Like, come, come on. Like, I'm not I'm not buying up there from from MJ outside, outside of his shoes. Yeah, awesome. and then and then okay, and then last year he got hurt in San Antonio when they was smacking San Antonio around. He got hurt. He's no longer on the team. But like, aside from that horrific injury, why do you think, uh, Abby? Why did Gordon Hayward not work out here? I don't think you can say aside from that horrific injury. I think that that horrific injury on the first game that he was wearing green um, in a season that was supposed to be, you know headed to the finals who knows with he and Kyrie running mates I I don't think you can discount that and as you guys were just saying clearly it took him a while to come back from that and I think it took him even longer mentally to come back from that and then who knows when you're an elite athlete like that I I don't know what that's like me neither you know how you're how you're overcompensating doing things differently than you used to the muscle memory has changed a little bit and so I don't know if that you know, opens you up to other injuries. He always looked a little nervous underneath the basket, I think, which is understandable. I don't know, always, but he definitely was, he was, he was never the player here that he was in Utah and how aggressive he was and getting to the basket, getting to the foul line and um, demanding that, that level of aggression. And so I agree with you on that. I don't, that's why I say, I don't think you can take away that catastrophic injury. And then you throw in all the drama you know, so then Kyrie's there for the next season. And is Kyrie really bought in? I don't think so. So I just, you know, came back from this horrific injury, didn't know if I would play again. And now you're not even, you don't even want to play. Like, what am I supposed to do? And so I think it's all connected. And I do think that ultimately I won't, I wouldn't blame if him if he was just looking for a change of scenery and then also seeing the writing on the wall he wants to be the guy he he was that guy in utah he left that because he thought that's what he was going to get here and now it's jalen and jason's team i should say jason and jalen's team but um and so you know and i don't blame him for getting the bag either 
So. <laughs> oh, oh no. I, I mean, listen, I, one, 120, baby, I'm, I'm walking too. I'm, I'm out of there. I'm going, but I, I just, I'd like to say, I, it's just me. I'm not trusting MJ. Like, don't tell me you didn't want to pay Kemba, <laughs> but you want to go back and pay Gordon Hayward who had, had injuries as well. So let's, let's not. You see what you're missing with that half star and not, you know, or a big name in the league. Yep. Yeah. I think for, like for him, he was a guy that I, I wanted to work because he really wanted to work too. I mean, he, he got injured this year. He had to leave the bubble and then he chose to miss the birth of his most recent child to play. That's the guy that you want on, on your team and in your locker room. So for me to see that he's gone, it, it, I, I was, I was really, you know, really sad to see it. And you also just answered my next question, but I'm still going to ask it. So I apologize. Um, you know, it's, it's Jalen or it's Jason. Whose team is this and why? So Talent ceiling wise, it's Jason's leadership in the locker room. It's Jalen's. And I think we're seeing that and just how much more outspoken he is. And, and I think that's a role that he, that comes more natural to him and one that he wants. Um, but I think the best thing about those two is I don't think they ever have that conversation. They um, it's something that Jeff Teague pointed out. He didn't realize how close those two were. And while it, they, they've told us that it's taken some time for them to get to this point. I think they are really good friends. They want each other to succeed and they understand that for this team to succeed, they both need to be the best at who they are and, and the most of who they can be. And, and I don't think that that steps on each other's toes as we've seen on the court over the past few years. And so um, I don't think you, they need to make that distinction. I think that we know in crunch time, it's the ball should be in Jason Tatum's hands and um, scowls all over me. But, you know, some of those long threes that he took against Miami, I am okay for, I'm okay with the numbers back it up. I mean, that's, that's not a bad shot. And so. Uh, uh, I'm so, so glad you said that. Cause I agree too. Damn it. <laughs> yes, I agree. And you want him in those moments for this season and the next season and the season after that. I think you got to give Jalen Brown a lot of credit for that too. Right. Because I think it would have been really easy for him to, you know, cause I, you know, any, any elite athlete is going to think that they're the best guy on the court. Like that's how they got to where they're going to be. Jalen Brown spent his entire career being the best basketball player on most teams that he's played on. Right. And I think that, you know, he's had, he's had almost as many moments like in, in the regular season as, as Jason Tatum does his athleticism is off the charts. I think it would have been really easy for him to get to, to kind of take his ball and go home when all the coverage was about Jason Tatum, when like all of his leaps were covered more than uh, Jalen getting better. He's a year ahead of him, you know, on the team. He was there a year before, before um, Tatum was. And I think it would have been the easy way to just be like, Oh, I, I should be the best guy. I want my own team, which is what a lot of NBA stars do nowadays. Right. Like a lot of them, kind of kick up a fuss and go like, I want my own team. But instead, like you're saying, he found a way to work with them and they found a way to work with each other and like, and, and play to each other's strengths. And I think that, you know, that that's not easy for everybody to do. So I, I, I think Jalen Brown deserves a lot of credit for that. Absolutely. I think that 2000, is it 17, 18 season with Kyrie and while Terry was still here. And I think that season was very humbling for Jalen um, because his role was not nearly what he expected it to be coming off of what he did in the playoffs, having to deal with that. And, and we saw that he struggled with it for the first half of the year, but um, something clicked inside him and, and he figured it out. He realized, you know, that he, 
I, I don't know if it's, you know, you can only control what you can control and, and that part of it. And, and, um, but I think that that was really humbling for him. And I think that that has changed his perspective and, um, for the better and, and seeing and realizing what is possible when you do, you know, play for others and it's not only about you. Right. And, and, and I think, um, it, it kind of clicked into my head as, as you were talking, but, um, and this is really before, you know, you were here and then, you know, when all, all, uh, of us were, were much younger, but th- this duo really reminds me of Pearson Walker because Pierce wasn't comfortable being the guy that was going to be vocal until KG got here. Right. But mm-hmm. early on in his career, when they made that run against the Nets, you know, it was Antoine that was the guy getting in people's faces. Like Jalen's not that guy getting in people's faces. I don't think that I know of, but he, he's going to be the guy that's going to be more vocal. Um, because Sounds like he did in the bubble. To Marcus. Yeah, right, right, yeah, right. Him and Marcus, right, exactly. But you know, I feel like I wasn't gonna say anything, you but... do that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it might make you do that. So that, that's understandable. But I just feel like that's kind of what they remind me of. They remind me of that, um, of, of that duo where, you know, uh like I said, Tatum may grow into that like Paul did. I, I don't you know who knows, but um it, like I said, it's good that they continue to play off each other and you know, um hopefully it's just something that continues to play off in front of our eyes that Jason becomes the man and you know, uh, you know, they become maybe the new Kawhi and PG. Who knows? But but also perform better in the playoffs. Kawhi and PG. I mean, I mean, people think I mean people people really well, hold on. People were really excited about them last year coming into last year, though. Um, PG has to be much better in the playoffs. We know that, but I mean Kawhi's a champion and we wanted him here last year too. I before. think Jalen Brown's got Paul George qualities also. I think that he yeah. can like he can I think when he really hits well, his, yeah. when he hits his prime, I think that he's gonna be a very similar player, player yeah. to Paul George. Hopefully better not in the playoffs. <laughs> yeah, hopefully but, yeah. better, right. <laughs> I know I knew what you meant. I knew what you meant. Yeah. So, as we're kind of winding down here, Abby, I, w- I wanted to make sure that I, that I talked a little bit about this because uh, the world, but more in particular, Celtics Nation lost. I mean, I mean, it's it's most prominent face uh, earlier this year with, with Tommy Heinsohn, right? I mean, he was one of the one of the best players in Celtics history, one of the best coaches, and the best uh, color commentator I think that I've that I've ever I've ever listened to. You never had to wonder where his allegiances were <laughs> when you listened to a game. You, you you always felt bad for whatever referee was in earshot of him. So I, I'd love if you could uh, just you know obviously talk a little bit about your experiences with him. I know that there's a memory that you that, that you did uh, mention in in the athletic, um, but I didn't know if you had any others. But also like how big of a force was he at the Garden day in and day out? He's massive. Tommy is bigger than life, and you're right. The season is completely different without him. Um, and that was apparent in the first preseason game. Um, when I came in seven years ago, I, I did not understand, comprehend the legend of Tommy Heinsohn and who he was. Um, I, I knew who he was as a basketball player. I knew about him. I, I didn't know, you know, what he meant to Celtics fans and to see it every day. I mean, um, you know, the Celtics do the, they used to do Brad has changed it a lot, but it used to be a scrimmage and TV garden for all of the um, season ticket holders. And Tommy, you know, sits courtside and it is just globs and globs of people um, that are just, just want to get a glimpse, just want to see Tommy and, and hopefully talk to him or get him to sign something. Um, and then I also got to go to uh, the silver circle awards, which is a broadcasting award where Mike and Tommy were honored. And it was so interesting to me to hear um, people 
much older than us, uh, talk about how Tommy has just been such an enormous figure in their lives for their whole lives. Cause I mean, that's the thing is that Tommy has been involved. He is, he is the definition of the Celtics, you know, through decades. And so to hear people talk about that, the stories, you know, what they remember him wearing the suits that he wore on the sidelines or yelling at the refs when he was a coach. Um, and, but then also everything that he did as a player. And so I coming to learn that and understand that I'm glad I didn't know it coming in because I think I would have been much more intimidated and I'm not sure I would have been able to talk to him and just go up to him. And the, as everyone has talked about in the lunchroom or the um, media, the media room at TD garden and be like, Hey, Tommy, how are you? Um, but he was wonderful to me. And that's the story I told. I, I feel like he was never, um, you know, I was, I came in, he didn't know who I was and, and how much experience I had or anything. And he never um, made me feel like I didn't know. He never made me feel like I, I wasn't a part of the team. And that was wonderful to me. And, and, and it was huge. It was huge for, you know, you say you don't remember games when I wasn't on him. I think it's the fact that Mike and Tommy respected me and welcomed me in and, and, um, talked to me like I was a part of the team. It made a huge difference. And, and if they didn't see that in me, um, I don't think I'd still be here. And the story I did tell to Steve Buckley of the athletic was, uh, during my first maternity leave. And I was, um, super pregnant and, uh, I was going into the studio because I just could not walk on the sidelines anymore. And I went into the lunchroom and I said, Tommy, you're stuck with me for the next couple of weeks. And he said, don't worry about it, darling. We will make beautiful television or something, <laughs> something along those lines. And he was just so coming. He's like, and it just made you realize, you know, what a great teammate he was. I knew he was there for me. He was going to help me through that. And, um, and he's just fun. He's a happy guy. Uh, my biggest regret is that I didn't get to go on the road with Tommy. Because yeah. the stories that he tells and the stories that everyone tells about him just at dinners and um, are epic. And it, I think it just would have been so much fun. And what blows my mind is that Tommy, for just how incredible he was as a player, that he had to have he had to have a summer job. You know, there's stories that he came back. He had been loading tr- either it was either loading up trucks or loading up boats in a dock. And he came back stronger and he was everything he was clanking off the backboard Yep. And Red was like, stop working out. No more lifting <laughs> weights for Tommy. And like, you know, um, he, 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 he quit playing to sell insurance because he was making more money doing that. And he had a family to support. Um, and then they roped him back into coach. So yep. um, he is a figure who is larger than life and he will be missed forever, but he will always be a part of the organization as well. Yeah. And he was an amazing painter too. I think you you know that, right? He was like, I, I did not know that. I, I you know, we have, I have like a family connection with him. I'm not related, but he gave one of my uncles a painting and I was like, who painted this? And it's signed like Tommy Heinz. And I'm like, that's unbelievable. Like most yeah. people like, ask for a Jersey signed by him. We have a watercolor painting, which is just, it's, it's, it's amazing. He was, he was a great, great human, great coach. And just, uh, I, I just, you, you're gonna, you notice that he's not there. And that's, that's something that, to be said about him in sports in today's media where everything is so fast paced you stop and you and, and you notice that Tommy Heinsohn is no longer calling the games or on the games um so I, I do I, I know that uh, we do have to wrap up one last question actually two last questions I lied <laughs> what are your expectations for the Celtics this year where where are they going to finish 
I mean, this is Boston. The yeah. expectation is banner number 18. Love that. Uh, I, I do think, <laughs> I do, uh, I will be disappointed if they don't make it back to the Eastern Conference Finals. Okay. Um, I mean, just because I want to see Jason and Jalen get that much better that they then can, you know, carry this team. Do you think that's in their head at this point, going to the Eastern conference finals this many times and not being able to get over that hump? No, I don't think, I don't think. No, thank God. (laughs) It's in mind. (laughs) Right. Just for me as, as covering this team and being around them, every series is its own entity. And so no, to me, it's not like, Oh, we have this wall. I think that there's, you know, each it's with all the free agents. It's circumstantial and every circumstance has been different. So obviously, we, oops, sorry, obviously, you know, we can, we can find you on pre and post on NBC sports, Boston, but for all the listeners out there, where can they find you on social media? If they want to learn a little bit more about you at TV, Abby, I'm on Instagram, Twitter. That's really it. I did snap for a while, but, um, that died. Oh, you have two children. You know, I think two, I think <laughs> yeah. two social media accounts is, is plenty. Yeah, priorities. Working on it. Yeah. And um, <laughs> Kyle used to go live, I think on Instagram, like before. Yeah. On, on Twitter too. Show. On, was it on Twitter or was it on yeah, Instagram? Was, I, I, it, might, it might've been both, but yeah. Yeah. Either one. So I'm going to try and keep that alive a little bit. So you can, so you guys can catch a real glimpse of Scal, what he's really like. <laughs> I don't know if people want to see that, but uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> Scal and Forsberg will be on the show and um Chris Mannix will be doing some um big, big perk and perk of course perk uh I'm so <laughs> I love perk so much <laughs> we did those things during the pandemic uh it was um the game show all the, all the, the, uh, the, the yes yes yeah. mm-hmm. oh my gosh that was so fun there were the highlights of my week yeah you guys you guys were killing it I'm, I'm oh like... yeah we, no we won <laughs> We beat Kyle and Scal twice, and they still right. could- Yeah, and I, I know Danny Ainge and uh, Marcus Smart tried to be a team too, but they, they failed too. So <laughs> they lost, and so did uh, Danny. Like talked about it all summer. Everyone was like, "Danny's still mad. You guys beat him at Celtics." <laughs> he doesn't like to lose. <laughs> he does not like to yeah. lose. He definitely is one of those like hates to lose more than he loves to win. I think for sure. Well, Abby, thank you so much for, for taking the time to join us today. It was, it was awesome having you. Um, we are, I mean, we were just so lucky to be able to talk to you. And obviously we're so happy to have you back at NBC Sports uh, Boston to be able to watch you for pre and post. Um, so for DK Sizzle, Dave Clark, Sean Buchanan, the best producer, Craig D'Alessandro, I am Michael Marcangelo signing off uh, for Missing the Point. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Missing the Point. Missing the Point is a one-hour podcast recapping the biggest stories in the world of sports, with the New England flavor. The show notes and transcript from today's episode can be found in the description box below, as well as on our website, www.mtpshow.com. If you're new to the show and enjoyed what you heard, please consider subscribing. It's the easiest way to see when we publish new episodes. We are on iTunes, Spotify, Google, and wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to rate us and leave a review of any of our shows. We always appreciate your feedback. Also, be sure to follow us on all of our social medias, All of our links will be in the show notes. And check out our brand new website, www.mtpshow.com. That's mtpshow.com. For all of us here at Missing the Point, I'm Craig D'Alessandro. We'll talk to you next time.
welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. I'm your host, Lisa Boat. Join me in conversation with heart-led humans who share their deeply personal stories of transformation. Transforming 45 is here to uplift, connect, and remind you that it's never too late to write your next chapter. So get ready to be inspired, empowered, and transformed. Join me in this community where through powerful storytelling, we heal and reclaim our inherent magic. Are you a fan of classic cinema or a young person who wants to discover the best films of all time? Do these legendary movies still hold up? On the Generation Film Podcast, two guys who grew up when movies dominated the culture share a great film with a panel of young movie lovers and see how it plays for today's generation. We discuss changes in storytelling styles, representation, and the making of each film, its initial reception, and how its meaning has changed over the years. Join us as we explore cinema classics across generations on Generation Film. Electric Acid. Electric Acid.